Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. People of the internet, welcome back to the Trash Heap Podcast. You thought it was dead, you thought it was gone forever, but we've been resurrected. We've climbed out of the muck and the mire, and we are here. Continuing to talk about movies the internet hates as a reaction against Rotten Tomatoes and anything like it, trying to aggregate movie opinions and and ruin the movies that we love and care about. And when I say we, I don't mean you and I. I mean me and the man sitting in front of me. He goes by the name of Elliot. I'm Keith, by the way. What do you get the man who has everything? How about a ticket back from the abyss? One way. Elliot, welcome back. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, good to be back in your guys' reality, not lost in a quantum maze of VHS static. Yeah, so about that, uh, where were you? So if, if you've been following along, I've been sending the messages to you. That, were you putting them on the internet? What? I sent you those messages, right? The the, it, the little video clips that I've, like, I was able to send to you. It wasn't me. Did, were they on the internet? Though? I mean, I've been I've been hearing you, but I thought that was just in my own head. No, no, that was me. So I, I somehow I found a magic VHS tape. I put it. I, well, I didn't know it was magic at the time. I just found a VHS tape, put it on in the my VCR, and got sucked into the movies and like kind of like a last action hero or a, what's that one with like a. It's like uh, it's got John Ritter. He gets sucked into the TV with his wife. Oh, is it Stay Tuned? Is yeah, that... Stay Tuned. Yeah, it was. Some, it was a scenario similar to that. I was trapped there for a while, but I'm back. Incredible! What a harrowing tale of survival. You know, it seemed like it was a big deal at the time, but looking back at it, it was like, eh, it's whatever. Yeah, when you're in the movies, nothing bad can happen, right? Uh, I thought I was something bad was going to happen to me on numerous occasions. I was chased by Jason Voorhees, set up by Alex Cross. Um, You're never supposed to cross Alex Cross. That's what they say. Why I, did you do that? Well, he thought I was a, he thought I was Jean Reno. I met the vampires from the Lost Boys. I uh, saw one-eyed Willie Ship sailing away on Cannon Beach from the Goonies. That's wild. The Goonies just left you there. Yeah, they didn't do anything with me. Wow. They were just there. Uh, ran into Freddy Cougar. That's about it, right? Freddy Krueger. Krueger, whatever. The uh, Canadian knockoff equivalent. The 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 really hot mom named <laughs> named <laughs> Freddy. Um, but yeah, no, I'm back. Uh, that's about it. Well, that's amazing. It's glad to have you here. Uh, I'm not sure how or when you came back or under what dubious circumstances, but that's not important. What is important is that we're back together. The trash heap is back. And we're here to here, yeah. wage our two-man war against Rotten Tomatoes and uh, people who hate movies. Yeah. Because we love movies. Yeah. We care about movies. Movies are important to us. We like to celebrate movies. Yeah, whatever. That's not to say that we aren't analytical or able to criticize the things we love, but the whole point of this is to celebrate things in spite of their flaws mm-hmm. and in spite of, uh, you know, budget restrictions or creative bankruptcy or um, crooked producers, greedy studios, um, a lack of talent, a lack of skill. 
lack of equipment, lack of even a lack of the will to complete a movie. Yeah. Shout out to Alan Smithy. Alan Smithy. Um, yeah, well, you know, I did a lot of catch up though since I was gone because it was almost a year. I feel like it's been a I, long time. So it was a lot last, it has was like happened. And the, the last summer or before? No, it's I've been, I've been gone for over a year. It's got to be twelve months to the day. Um, and so I did a lot of catch up to uh, to see like all the stuff I missed in two thousand eighteen. So you're, you're hooked on ketchup. You're a ketchup addict. Yeah, I've been just <laughs> pounding it. Well, it's, 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 it's the amount of sugar that's in ketchup gives me the, the energy surge I need to just keep going. Uh, to, to watch all the films I missed, uh, catch, get up to date. You know, it's like I, first I started with coffee. That didn't really work. I put, started putting ketchup in my coffee and boom. It's the code red. I was red. ready to go. It's code red. That's the secret. So I saw a lot of good movies. There was a lot of good movies that came out last year and a lot of bad ones too. It's been an uh, incredible time for just movies in general. Particularly genre films. I feel like this was kind of a last past, uh, past year was pretty good for genre films. We're seeing a lot of new new creators emerging and new ideas and mm-hmm. stories and uh those types of efforts are getting mixed reactions because i think a lot of people are still clinging to the familiar um while you know some folks are ready for something new something fresh and exciting well i think too like a lot of things that have happened like you've had like some like kind of like crossover hits or movies that have been almost crossover hits so I think whenever that happens, an audience that normally wouldn't watch horror films or other types of genre films then be like, okay, well, I'm going to go and what was that? Was that me lost in the, in the realm? Must be a feedback loop. And I think whenever that happens, when you have those audiences that are perhaps not familiar with something or, or, not, or just don't engage in it very often, uh, I think that can kind of skew expectations. I think like, Particularly with like, you know, us, you know, Jordan Peele's Us came out and I think that one had a much more mixed reaction than Get Out did. And I think one of the reasons why Get Out was so popular in a to a broader audience was because of its political messages and, you know, and social commentary. Um, where, not to say that Us didn't have those things too, but it wasn't as... Uh, as largely as part of the core of it. And it was more of a... It was more... I don't want to say a traditional horror film because it is incredibly unique. In its no, own. but it was very straightforward and easy to understand and read and, it and was, relate to. It was much more of a straight up horror film than Get Out was, you know. Uh, oh, I was talking about Get Out versus Us, which was had a little bit more abstraction to no, it. That's, that I mean, was, well, that's what I mean. You know, it's like Get Out is is more grounded, even though it's there's some very fantastical things and it's more grounded in a real world. It has all these political and it's uh commentary and social commentary and it's very topical to things happening at the time and like i said there are those elements in uh in us as well but it's more of a straight ahead horror movie you know even though it is like wackier like this the horror elements of it are more more at the forefront i felt oh that's i I, i'd agree with that yeah get out was definitely had a little bit more of a hitchcock kind of thriller bend to it yeah versus us which was yeah just straight ahead well, or I, th- I think the i think the audience expectation too was when before when get out we because of get out then when us came out they're like oh well this is going to be the next get out or it's going to have this huge you know political allegory or social commentary yeah you it know? became the expectation 
became, oh, here comes the Jordan Peele, Peele formula that we can get familiar with. Exactly. And it's like, no, Jordan Peele is just a straight up horror fan. Like, so that's like when someone who's not a horror fan likes his one of his movies because, oh, it's a horror movie, but it's also these other things I already like. I already like political movies or social commentary movies. And then they see something that's more in his roots of just like, like visceral horror then yes. it's like they're like, whoa, I didn't like that. I was disappointed with it. Which to me, like, I think, I mean, both are great films. I think Get Out's probably a tighter film overall, but yeah, definitely. I sh- ensure just like, I ensure enjoyment or just like visual, uh, you know, like creepy reaction to uh, to the imagery and stuff. I was I enjoyed uh, us overall. Yeah, more. I think uh, uh, being a challenging movie is also pretty exciting because it gets you to discuss it afterwards and and talk about it. And your interpretation may be completely different and diametrically opposed to someone that was sitting next to you watching the same movie, which is, that's what a thrill. Well, that's, what's kind of the cool thing I do like about us. I mean, like, you know, talking to people about get out, like everyone was pretty much on, you know, the same page of about what the movie was about, what the movie's messages were about. But with us, I've heard wildly different interpretations you know and to me and to me and to me actually us is like i know i just said that it wasn't as political or didn't have as much social commentary as get out but i actually think it did have nearly the same it was just layered a little bit differently you know like there was as much different stuff going on it just wasn't in the forefront of the story you know like the characters themselves weren't really talking about it Mm -hmm. the way they didn't get out like that's from the from the, from the opening, they're they're talking about the social issues that the movie addresses. Where in us, I found I found that they 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 expressed them more just in as how the story unfolded, rather than the characters being necessarily involved directly consciously into those social issues. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think us also exists in a little bit more of a sort of a skewed mirror world instead of. Yes, this is the same exact reality that we share. Right. Versus Get it, Get Out definitely felt like our modern world. Yeah. Like we had just stepped into something very familiar. Mm-hmm. But as you go deeper into us, it gets stranger and stranger. And it's almost like the fabri- fabric of reality is just stretching further and further. Well, one thing I also found interesting about it too is, you know, I think so many people took certain things of it at face value. Like the... Uh, like when they're when they're down when they're at the end, spoilers, guys. <laughs> at the end, when they're down below in the, like the underground th- thing under the Santa Cruz boardwalk, the facility, and uh, what's her name? The the red is that what they call her? The the bad version of of the mom. I think they refer to her as red, but like she's explaining what her theory of the, of the of the world is, and she goes like, "Oh, I think this was a government facility, and they were trying to make clones to control us." And I, you know, and like, and she comes up with this whole explanation for it. Um, but then, you know, I was talking to people and they're like, oh, that's just ridiculous. Like the government did this whole underground thing all over the country and then just left it there and left all the people there. And I was like, 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 well, that's not actually necessarily what happened. She says, I think right. this is what happened. And she's a little girl when she ends up in there, as you discover in the big twist at the end. It was a little girl trying to rationalize her whole existence based on 
the things she knows. And like the, the opening shot of the movie, they're, they're, she's watching the TV and she's watching the Hands Across America thing. And there's VHS tapes lining uh, either side of the TV. And each one of the VHS tapes she references later at some point in some way or another. You know, she talks about government experiments and the right stuff is right there. And Chud is right there. You know, she references the Goonies and the Goonies is one of the tapes. Yeah. This there. idea that it could just be mental conditioning. Right. And she's all like her whole, her whole, her, their whole plan is based on the hands across America thing. The things that she was watching on TV, they dress up in red jumpsuits with one glove on their hands. Like Michael based Jackson, on like, Mike, on the- Michael Jackson, because she goes down with a thriller t-shirt, yes. you know? So it's, she's, to me, I took it as she was, that that wasn't the actual explanation of where those duplicates came from who knows where they came from but that was her trying as a child trying to make some sort of sense out of it not the movie necessarily explaining it right because if that if you take that at face value it does open up a lot of plot holes but i don't really think that was the actual explanation that was just a explanation you know yeah we offer a lot of credence to the characters in in movies as Mm -hmm. reliable and trustworthy with their exposition but who knows they could be way off i mean mean, just particularly in a a scenario that like that movie sets up right how many and how many times obviously she's operating on a limited amount of information but how many times in our daily lives do we discover that we are 100 percent incorrect oh, totally, about yeah. uh, an assumption or a hypothesis we've created about something. And that's in, in things where we, where we actually have access to information versus right. access to zero information and just be like, no, I'm just making a guess. I'm an eight-year-old kid yeah. making a guess based on what I'm looking around. And know? also in a crisis situation. In a crisis situation. In yeah. a sort of the, the most extreme circumstances you could possibly fathom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah, to me, I was like, I know a lot of people... That one was a little bit more just dev- divisive amongst fans, not divide, you know, because obviously any a movie like that, you know, like Get Out is going to be divisive culturally, but amongst fans of the movies itself, you know, like the people who went in loving Get Out didn't necessarily come out loving us, you well, know. It was, I mean, it was, it was it, a hugely successful movie and like, sure. you know, cemented in, but I like... There was like there was more just like oh well that wasn't as good or that didn't make sense or well this you know. debate of of you know did you think it was genius or did you think it was up its own ass like this right. always becomes when you run into a movie that's open ended and and isn't sort of tightly sewn up mm-hmm. uh, you invariably run into this and it becomes the people who thought um, the movie was too vague or mysterious. They, they get upset right. because they feel insulted. Like a movie told them that they were dumb and didn't understand it. Right. So they come out of the theater. They say it's stupid. Don't go see it. Right. And then other people praise it as genius. Yeah. But they may have experienced the opposite effect where they didn't understand it, but they were delighted by that. Right. Sure. Yeah. And it's these, this interesting dichotomy of, of emotional responses that just comes out of a movie that asks you questions yeah. and 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 asks you to do more than just witness it. Right. And it's not and it's not like that's it's not a movie that's like there are movies that are just like just like obtuse and like weird for for its own sake, you know. Sure. versus like versus a movie that just doesn't explain or lay everything out or give you all the answers. And I do think I mean the audiences have, have always 
there's always a segment of the audience that is, doesn't like that. And I think particularly right now we're living in an era where people really want uh, the movies to tell them what the movie is about, not just in like plot, but also in thematics. And like, like right now I think it's like, it's hard to make a movie where there's like a bad guy and the bad guy is the hero or the protagonist. You're not necessarily the hero, but the protagonist, you know, it's like, it, it was, there was an era where like a movie like taxi driver, you know, could happen. And uh, like Travis Pickle is a bad guy. Like there's no dis- debate about that, but the movie just lets him, him be the main character. There's not like a hero who stops him. Uh, and the movie doesn't necessarily make a dramatic um, opinion about him. Like it kind of lets his actions speak for themselves. Right, let's you decide. Let's you decide. And now I don't. I think we're in an era where like that's a hard. It's that's a harder thing for audiences to accept for whatever reason. Like they they want they want the the film to make up a, a political choice or a moral choice of the characters. Like at some right. point we have to be told that the characters are bad, even though. Like I remember I had a discussion with this about someone about Zero Dark Thirty, and they said that they thought it was a pro torture movie because no one in the movie ever says stands up against the torture that's happening and i was like to me it just kind of like spoke for itself like everybody in that movie comes across as like pretty creepy and slimy and right well like, yeah, yeah. Mor- and like morally you know bankrupt uh and i was just like the movie didn't like never told you that it was one way or the other and that's the thing it never told you one way or the other it never was pro it never said you know I mean, obviously there was characters in the movies that were, that were pro torture because they were torturing people, but the movie didn't make a dramatic stand either way. It just kind of let the events unfold. Yeah. I think in any war movie, it ultimately it's, here's the horrors of war. Yeah. Obviously it's awful on from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a few things uh, like positive that you can extract from that. But even in war movies where, there are characters shouting to the heavens, like say casualties of war with Michael J. Fox. Right, yeah. He's a character who says, this is fucked. This is garbage. No, I won't go along with this and I won't be party to it. But at the same time, there's also characters you could argue are showing that maybe it's necessary. So it's never a, a, a an easy decision, right? The horrors of war... Uh, uh, require a certain type of person to participate. And so the waters are right, very yeah, muddy yeah. as yeah. far as moral choices. Right. Well, and that's, yeah, it's true. It's like, you know, it's like, obviously movies are not real or realistic. Uh, and that's fine. But you can have, you can still have, uh, there's more things that you can do with them besides having like the utmost, you know, fable. And the lesson learned here was, you know, uh, which there's nothing wrong with those either uh i just find it i just find it interesting that currently it's how opposed as a society we are to that concept of just of the more just like here's just something well i think it is very indicative of the time where people do want they want things to be clear and honest oh yeah and they want uh 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 They want resolution. Right. Oh, we're living in a time of, so like where social justice is very 
important and that that's good i'm i'm in favor of all those things in in real life you know it's just like the why that has to necessarily translate directly to cinema where we where we have to be told that a character who's obviously bad oh sure is bad you know like we need someone we need some we need a vehicle within the film to be like oh this guy killing kids the child murderer by the way we we don't like it you know like even though that's like so obvious it's like he's not being portrayed as a good guy, you know. Yeah, you know, just, I think yeah, the writers and filmmakers expect you to just make that leap. On right, your own. you know, it's like the people surrounding him are like, you know, you you watch a movie like uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and like pretty much everyone in that character in that movie is not a good person, or even the even like the more sympathetic ones, you know, or like have also done questionable things, and. The movie itself, there's no like hero of the movie, you know. And but I never, I never walked away from that movie, being like, you know what, serial killers are okay, you know. Just there are people just like you and me, right? You know, I, I mean, perhaps you walked away with some form of sympathy for like their backgrounds and abuse that they suffered, but you never, you never once did you think that they were like being portrayed as the good guy heroes. Of the film, yeah, you know? and I think there's there's definitely a period where there were movies with characters like that, mm-hmm. where you would be following a uh, not even an antihero but a villain, and by the end of the movie, you sort of because they were put in uh, heroic situations or the way the narrative moved, you you sort of developed a Stockholm syndrome where you're you're siding with oh, totally, you, you've, yeah. you've lost sight of you know, your, your moral compass or, or whatever your values are. And now you're in this, you're in the shit with them. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild that movies have that power and that ability, but that's also exciting. Mm -hmm. While we're on the subject of movie killers, uh, what was, what about Halloween? Talking about a killer movie. You literally liked it. I loved it. I thought it was a really enjoyable movie theater experience. There was like a palpable energy uh amongst the crowd and people were ready people were ready to see a new michael myers movie they were ready to see this michael myers movie mm-hmm. um there's definitely there's some things i thought were silly or out of place or maybe i didn't like but in in terms of bringing something fresh to that character and also kind of winding up the storyline with laurie strode uh and making sort of a modern follow-up mm-hmm. to a movie that's 40 years old I had a great time with it. I don't know. I think I th- I've only seen it the one time in the theater, and I think I might enjoy it more. I I I liked it. I didn't I didn't hate it or anything. I might enjoy it more. Um, the second time around, uh, but I wasn't crazy about it. I remember I was like in the theater, and the mo- the movie was over, and uh, the lights came up, and then it was only then that I realized like three seats down for me was. Michael Myers. Michael Myers watching was, the was movie with me. Like, like, wait a second. Uh, was my old was an old was uh, my old boss, and we're like walking out of the theater, and he goes, "Well, what do you think?" And I said, "Like, well, it's better than Halloween 6. and it's warmed up to me more since since then. But I was just like, maybe if it was the first movie in the Halloween series, if there wasn't another all these other previous entries, I would have been a little bit more juiced on it. But like, oh, this is a new thing, and it's it's cool. But I didn't. I didn't feel that it, I feel like it really rehashed the first one in a lot of ways, even though, you know, the preview for it had, okay, there, here's a, 
Laurie Strode and she's old and her thing is like she's been preparing her entire life for Michael's return and then it kind of just follows her granddaughter in, in a very similar way to the first one where like her granddaughter is like the kids who are semi unaware of them themselves being stalked when there's all this this killer running around and Michael Myers acted very out of character I think a lot of through a lot of a lot of the movie it's kind of like almost like the filmmakers saw the first one or saw the first couple and realized that they were good movies but didn't necessarily know what what it was they liked about them or what to tap into I mean I definitely agree with these these points I think that they did in order to uh, make sure that fans got what they wanted. They did include that structure and they included those moments and nods to the original and even nods to like, say Halloween two, which, you know, they're dismissing as part of sure, the, yeah. the plot thread. Um, I don't know that I would agree that mythology uh, can necessarily have an impact on my viewing experience, but there's tons of moments where, they either um, reference the original or uh, will flip those moments. Like sure. one of my favorite scenes or moments was uh, near the end when Lori, even as implausible as it may be, as a, an elderly woman is knocked off a balcony. Oh, uh, and then she dis- she's on the ground. And right. You get that moment of Michael looking down and then she disappears. No, that was great. Uh, that, that was fine. I, it's not to me so much the callbacks that bothered me or anything. I was just like, more about the... Uh, I just felt like we were treading through familiar waters. A hundred percent. And uh, I think you, you, you're right too that Michael Myers does act out of character unless you're familiar with Halloween four through six. Right. Which is kind of a strange. And I don't care about movies actually having continuity unless the movies themselves are pretending like they have continuity and don't, you know? So it's like, if a movie's just like, we have a sequel and it's like, we're just going to do whatever the fuck we want. I'm on board. But if a movie's like be like, oh no, like particularly like this one, like we're ignoring we're ignoring everything after the first one. This is a direct sequel to that one. It's in the same universe. We're paying we, you know, we're paying tribute to the script that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill wrote and blah 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 and like this whole thing. And then it it doesn't it doesn't it's like we were saying like it's going back we're going back to those rules and then it doesn't actually follow those rules, you know. The movie totally pr- pr- proposes itself as being within the world of the first one sure. solely like directly un- unmistakably and then i mean yeah right out of the gate it's uh if michael myers is the boogeyman why is he old right that's the first question i would have is well because this of, idea that he's like this sort of ethereal but that's the thing it's like in the in the first in the first film he's ethereal in more of a generic way you know it's just like he it's it's never truly established if he has anything supernatural about him in the first oh you mean vague yeah it's vague yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it's it's never truly established if he has anything supernatural about him at all right and then in sequels we we determined that he oh there's yeah he's well some of the eventually just explain in six they explain exactly why he has yeah he went to a crystal shop one time right and went a little overboard but it does, but it doesn't but yeah it disregards all the all that stuff so yes. it's like so he's not he's not a supernatural being in this one which makes me wonder if if the things that I see that I recognize from those sequels was it because they thought you know there is an audience for those movies four through six mm-hmm. regardless of what you might think I mean obviously there's a huge um, audience of people that love Halloween four despite 
Halloween 4 is... The, the immediate flaws. Halloween 4 is not bad. No, as a movie, it's it's tremendous. Um, I think there's things you could... You could obviously pick up apart a lot of things, starting with the mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even all the way up to Halloween 6, I have a little bit of a you know rose-colored view of Halloween 6, and I'm also fascinated by the absolute wackiness of it and the lore behind the production and the rewrites and the different cuts. And I think all that stuff is really fascinating. I love when like particularly a series that has been going on as long as Halloween where you you get to this point where it's just like, how can you make a sequel to this that isn't ridiculous? So then you just go all in. You just like double down. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. This is still going on. The only logical conclusion to this is to just go completely off the deep end. So within context of that, I think the premise of Halloween 6 with all of the fucking, uh, you know, you know, ancient cult. The cult and, and the all, man in black. Yeah, and, and all that stuff. Premise, premise wise is awesome. It's the only way you can legitimize another sequel to this to this movie. You know, it's just to be like, well, it's not it's because there's this whole other world going on that you didn't even realize and that's why we have to make a sequel to it. If it's just him walking around again, killing kids at random, then it just it becomes ultimately repetitive, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I I I, I liked the new Halloween. I don't really like how the it's like the comp. I don't even know if it's the, necessarily the common opinion amongst audience, but the way it's just kind of portrayed is like, oh, it's obviously the best one since the first one. Yeah, I mean, I definitely disagree with that. However. Um, I think that if you take Halloween to 2018 and if you cut it into a, I don't know, five to seven minute montage mm-hmm. with the Halloween score, uh, I think there's some incredible moments and imagery Absolutely. in that movie that, which is one of the reasons why the trailers for the movie were so awesome. Oh yeah. You know? the, the trailer is unbelievable. Yeah. There, I mean, and even though some of those moments weren't expanded upon, like the, going to Smith's Grove and the sort of checkerboard courtyard and that whole setup. Mm-hmm. Like I was absolutely mystified by that and, mm-hmm. and fascinated. And I wanted to know more about how a mental institution could be set up by this. Like right, it's an yeah. incredible visual. Right. And like, I just wanted to know more and learn about everyone there. Like I would sit and read a, you know, a report or a, an audit or a dossier about, that entire facility and all of those characters, like if it was a comic book sure, yeah. or a, a paperback novel or but something like, like that, in, I would like more in depth, yeah. love to go into it. I do think, like I said, I do think if I watch the movie again, I'll probably more enjoy it more the second time around. Streaming now on HBO. I know. I just, I just saw that. <laughs> uh, um, it's a good thing you didn't get trapped in that movie because I don't know that you would have survived. I don't know, man. With this, this Michael Myers was closer in relation to rob zombies michael myers than i would say the michael myers from in, like, john his, carpenter's like, original like his, like his you mean like his speed and like yeah just aggressiveness and the yeah. brutality like the whole business with the teeth in the um gas station bathroom mm-hmm. uh that's wild that's not necessarily the kind of thing he would exibit well that was like i was talking to somebody like right after i saw it and someone said like oh why because you know there's that shot where he like goes in he's going through the house and like he walks past a crib and the baby's crying. And he just looks at the baby and then just walks out. And someone's like, why didn't he kill the baby? It's like, that is literally the only thing he did in the movie that was in character with how he does and doesn't kill people. Because 
the only people he just kills at just kills like point blank are people that are in his way or that he wants something from everyone else he stalks at length before murdering them and but in this one he just will like would just like walk into a house stab three people and walk out which is totally out of character for him wild i could have sworn that he killed that baby oh really i could have sworn but maybe it's because um a sort of memory association because like you were saying like he was on very much on a rampage like you get that that one big shot where he's moving through the entire town just killing left and right but in in recalling it now when he killed that kid at the bus crash that set set me on a path to thinking anything can happen right cuz in in most horror movies in most slasher movies they don't kill kids no, it's, not, it's not, pretty not rare kids that young yeah yeah and in you know in halloween it's it literally the entire series was Jamie Lloyd was the only real child in danger. Right. I mean, but the, still the, but Tommy still Doyle and um, little girl from what was her name? I don't remember. She grew up to be one of the real housewives. Can oh, you really? believe that? Yeah. That it's little weird. girl. Huh? And it's, it's wild. Like seeing interviews when she says I was the little girl from Halloween and now I'm, extremely rich but not because of that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but even like even uh the, the like the yeah what was her name the psychic girl you just said her name uh oh jamie yeah even though she's at in the only a character who's in a young kid who's in genuine risk in the film she never dies no, you know no um if you had to speed round not thinking about it top five halloween movies starting with your least favorite going to your favorite all right top five halloween movies of all times uh number five halloween 2018 okay number four halloween four number three halloween six number two halloween three number one halloween two so the original halloween isn't even in your top five no i i won't deny that it's a classic and an incredible achievement and a masterwork but we're talking my favorites and what right. i love what i love to watch and what i love to throw on i would agree so if i was going to do mine uh i would probably have ha- the new halloween is number five i would have halloween four is number four i still would have the re- i would have the original halloween in there but I probably have it at three because even though I think it's probably in a lot of ways the better made movie of it, it's just not the one I want to necessarily throw on and watch. That would be Halloween 2. I'd want to watch that more frequently just as a fun movie that I enjoy watching. And honestly, the only I would put Halloween 3 as my number one favorite one, except for the fact that it's hard to even call it necessary. It's, you know, it's its own thing. Yeah, it's a separate. It's a separate thing. It's part of the series, but it's not really. You can't see me doing air quotes on right. this, but I'm doing them. Uh, air quotes are back. So Thank it's you very it's much. Probably, so it's not necessarily my favorite Michael Myers movie, but it's definitely the movie out of everyone that I like enjoy the most and want to watch the most, and definitely think. I mean, it's been getting more love in recent years. Yeah. It's kind of coming back around, and people are like, "Oh, this movie is actually pretty good." But I genuinely like love that movie, and I. I, maybe if it had never been called Halloween, it would have been a more popular movie. I don't of course. know. But 
stylistically though there's a lot that matches up and there's so much so many arguments to be made that it exists in the same universe and having those conversations about how it might tie in there like what if the michael myers mask was a silver shamrock yeah mask, it's true or, but they're also watching they and there's they're in a bar watching halloween which is wild so what TV. implication does that have is it a documentary a documentary or this like this <laughs> news footage like yeah <laughs> Home security camera catches young girl being murdered. Yeah, by what mass. if it's a, yeah? What if it's a dramatization like your Saturday night movie of the week, Halloween, based on a true story? I mean that 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 could be right. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre based on a true story. True. There you go. Uh, yeah. Urban Legend based on a true story. Oh. I know what you did last summer based Def- on definitely based on a, a true summer story. I had as a as a young teen. But yeah, it's just the one I want to watch, like that I enjoy watching the most out of all of them. That's you know? exciting. I mean, overall, though, circling back to Halloween 2018, I think that the look and feel and energy of the movie um, and and the team behind it, I think they show a lot of promise in terms of developing absolutely new new horror movies. Um, so that's really exciting, and I think that's the biggest and best takeaway uh, is. You know, having new talent and and new creative energy focused on horror movies to make, you know, new classics. You know, which uh, which I guess is more of a remake than a new entry into the into the series. But which one I really loved from last year was the Suspiria remake. I might have to turn in my uh, Fangoria membership card, but uh, I haven't seen that yet. I honestly just want. I mean, I know it's readily available, but. It, well, it wasn't haven't. for a long time. You know, it was like, the, it, it did have a theatrical release, but it was very limited. And then uh, it got released on Amazon Prime, but it wasn't free for a long time until just recently on Amazon Prime. And I'll say I'm not a Dario Argento purist. I don't I don't love, love him nearly as much as his hype and reputation. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of his movies are just kind of hard to sit down and watch. Some of I mean, some of them are a lot of fun, but like even as particularly like the original Suspiria, like to me, that's, I know that's kind of touted as his masterpiece, but it's of his like good era, uh, from late seventies to mid eighties or whatever, when like what's considered his classic era. That's one of my least, least favorites of his classic era that I've seen. I haven't seen every single, there's a few I haven't seen. Well, it's worth mentioning that we're also so far removed from those movies now. I mean, you know, saying Halloween is 40 years old. So those movies are also at least 40 years old. That's a long time. When we were growing up, (laughs) we're about to age ourselves here, but when we were growing up, you know, what was an old movie? Oh yeah. uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Now that movie is what? 60, 70, 800 Uh, years old? 800, 850 I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, the new one was, it's going to be a little hard to talk about since you haven't seen it. So I'll be brief. Just my little quick review, uh, was such, so beautifully constructed and, uh, well-made. The cinematography is amazing in it. Uh, it changes the story. I mean, it's definitely like, it's, the story is different enough that it doesn't necessarily even feel like it's 100% a remake other than the fact that it involves witches and a dance school. But the thematics and the themes and the characters in it just go to completely different levels. I will say, oddly, at the end, there is a scene that looks like a looks like a sci-fi original movie from the late 90s or Nine Inch Nails a music video, which is so bizarre because of how 
just gorgeously shot the rest of the film is and how well the uh, production design on everything else is. And this, this one scene comes out of nowhere at the end and it's very jarring and not, not jarring in a good way. And I like that, but jarring in the sense that it just completely momentarily removed me from the movie. And it took me a little bit longer to get back into it, but by and large, it's a two and a half hour movie that feels like two and a half hours. It doesn't, it doesn't fly by, but it's deliberately paced in in that time and I don't feel like there are wasted scenes even within that massive running time you know I'm glad you touched on run times because it seems like in the last probably five years movies are long as shit 120 well, minutes oh, superhero movies you know like every yes, superhero from from these big epics yes superhero movies mm-hmm. all the way to uh you know Blade Runner and uh Alien and you know, sci-fi and all of these movies, even action movies are, are so bloated now. It's wild. Well, it's crazy is because like, you know, I'm a big proponent of a movie should be as long as it needs to be or as short as it needs to be. Yes. And there was a period of time when you did have these really long movies and that was accepted. And then we went into a, an era where like there wasn't as many movies over 90 minutes and a lot of movies... Or even 86 minutes. You know, a lot of what movies... What a time to be a alive. A lot of movies did feel kind of truncated and like weren't given the room that they needed to. Yeah. Breathe. Like you were missing something, but now like, we're, yeah, it's like now it's cool that they will allow movies to be long again if they need be. But then sometimes it's just like that, the bloat you're talking about where it's just like, why does this move? Why does this movie have to be over three hours long? You know, like I liked Avengers end game. It was good. Felt like you probably could have cut 30 minutes out of that movie pretty easily. Yeah, definitely. And if they're employing time travel, it would have made sense. Yeah, just to remove remove whole yeah. whole characters. They could have used them out just, of there. just a little bit of exposition to <laughs> right. rationalize it. Right. It's like it's like, eh, we just got to the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of time travel, interactive films. Pim particles, see? Yeah. What's your favorite superhero movie of the past year? You know, I watched Punisher Warzone the other day. That's a hell of a that's movie. That's from like, like 10 years ago. Hell of a movie. Uh, and, no, it's interesting. Um, I'm just mentioning this because it's so fresh, but Punisher Warzone was sort of a, you know, an afterthought uh, at the beginning of the, the big superhero craze. It was sandwiched right in between, like, say, Blade and, you know, the real, like, Avengers uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kickoff of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. But I think it brings a lot to the table and is extremely watchable. It's got this this look and vibe to it. It's like half the crow and half Dick Tracy, which is mm-hmm. very strange. Shout out to the the team lighting this movie and the cinematographers because they did something cool. Directed by Lexi Alexander, it's got some sort of cheesy, uh, you know, kind of new metal. Um, uh, action montages and things mm-hmm. like that, but there's lots of gore. There's some cool makeup effects with the villain Jigsaw, uh-huh. and just overall, it has <coughs> this kind of like manic, manic energy to it, which I appreciate. It's funny that you bring up the look because the only I've only ever seen parts of that movie while watching it in a bar with the sound off. So literally, all I could see was. Visually, what's happening? No dialogue. Well, music. you may have gotten the best of it. I might have. I don't know. It did. It did. Like, if I hadn't known what it was, you know, like already, like, and you asked me if you asked me to guess what it is, I probably would have guessed that it was like a TV movie or that came out long before it actually 
came out, you know. So it actually feels like I talked about the the '90s kind of energy vibe to it, right? Like these, uh, are like the it crow. feels more like a direct sequel to the like uh, the Dolph Lundgren yeah. Punisher yeah, yeah, yeah. than it does to the Thomas Jane Punisher. Yeah. It's a really kind of fascinating thing. It's like we were talking about with Halloween. If you sort of pair them up, uh, you know, watch them as like a double bill, it's you get kind of an interesting perspective on it. Mm-hmm. You can see that, yeah. So, anyways, that's uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I think overall, though, um, I haven't seen every single superhero movie that's come out, um, but I did watch more Marvel movies as Endgame was coming up. I think my favorite superhero movie of the modern era is probably The Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier's great. Just because it's, yeah, it's a kind of an action powerhouse and... Uh, brings a lot to the table in terms of story and, and character work. And, you know, it's hard not to be interested in the story between Captain America and Bucky, uh, both coming from, you know, as, as you know, spit out, as it were, by World War Two, mm-hmm. like right into the future, and then kind of dealing with all the trappings of, of being modern superheroes and, and government agents and it's all very rich and complex. Winter Soldier was, uh, that along with Guardians of the Galaxy, was the one, that, the movies that got me on board with what Marvel was doing. Uh, their first output of like a handful of films, there was a couple okay ones, but I wasn't really crazy about them or didn't really care. And I wasn't going to go see Captain America Winter Soldier. And then someone told me like, oh no, it's really, it's really legit. You should go check it out. And I went in and I was very pleasantly surprised. And I think that's really kind of where they found their footing. And I know this has been talked about a lot, but like, regardless of like bad entries here and there, or just like mediocre movies they've made, like what that really has done, you know, as a cinematic feat is pretty impressive. Um, the, collectively, of you know, all all their films into the culminating into the, the final story or whatever. Uh, so yeah, that was the one that got me like straight up on board with caring about the ongoing story. I liked Infinity more War more than Oh, End- it was great. That was I thought it was way better than Endgame. I liked it like again I said I liked Endgame, but like Infinity War was like I remember sitting in the theater watching Infinity War and being like that was a moment where I felt like I've never quite seen something like this. Yes. You know, I was just like and and more so too watching it it was definitely a movie you have these big spectacle movies and like yeah, they're better in in the theater, but sometimes it doesn't really matter if you watch them in the theater or it's on a big TV watching that movie on a large screen versus watching it at home was an entirely different experience. I was remember thinking about like, just like the way it was filmed and shot. I was like, I'm watching Lawrence of Arabia of superhero films. I've never seen a, a visually shot this way. You know, I've seen the spectacle, you know, but just like the, the broadness and the scope and the, you know, like the whole, the whole, the whole thing, uh, formatting and just like look of it yeah when you was talk so about unique at the time you know particularly like i said like how much it was how much it really benefited from seeing it on a large screen yeah you talk about ambition and and an epic feel mm-hmm. and that movie has it i was you know a little skeptical i was like well this is gonna be really hard to pull off all of these characters all of these plot threads all converging into sort of one area that's no one's ever done anything like that before. Like, how how good could it really be? Yeah, uh, I was I was honestly blown away. Yeah, I was impressed and and 
I had the same kind of experience you did where I had to stop and just kind of look around for a minute and appreciate that they successfully pulled it off to such a high level. And I, I mean, I got a little emotional. I didn't get necessarily emotional at the character moments and, and story beats, but I got a little emotional because I really appreciated the fact that something this incredible has been achieved in cinema. Right. Out of, you know, you could argue that the the money-making machine at, at Disney and blah, 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 like it's just a, creating a cinematic universe is just a, um, a function of commerce and a way to generate, you know, untold profits and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, very little was sacrificed creatively. Well, when you, uh, that's, yeah, you could, like you, obviously it's a money-making, like you said, the money-making machine, like let's do the cinematic universe for money. But like you said, nothing was sacrificed for creativity because look at all the other studios that have attempted to do some form of cinematic universe and how disastrous that has been across the board. Like DC, Warner Brothers didn't pull it off with DC. No. Uh, they Universal tried to do like the, the horror movie. Oh, it never universe. even got off the that ground. One fucking movie and they were like yep. sc- scrapped it because of, you know, like if you go in with the, the concept just like, well, if we do this, we can make a lot of money. But then forget the fact that you are telling stories and there's people invested in it. Like, I mean, that's what was brilliant about what Marvel did. And you see also particularly looking at like some of the actors they chose and filmmakers they chose, you know, like they didn't choose filmmakers that were necessarily action or sci-fi or fantasy directors. They're like, let's get really good directors and see what they bring to the table working within a framework that we've already established and you say like so you so obviously they have they do have creative limitations in the sense that they just can't make whatever movie they want to make regardless but they are given the creative freedom to tell unique uh really well executed engaging stories you know yeah the russo brothers russo for brothers. example yeah they directed they directed you me and you dupree. me and dupree yeah yeah <laughs> Which, but I mean, but stuff they did other than that was like the first movie, Welcome to Collinwood, which is an ensemble cast movie comedy, but pretty good and deals with a lot of characters, bunch of TV stuff, you you know, uh, rest of development, community. Right. I mean, so like, think about that. Like, think about like how that it's like, which movies have uh, of the series have they done? You know, Winter Soldier was their first, but all the other ones are ones that juggle a lot of characters. Captain America's Civil War, these two Avenger movies, they have like literally every character. And I was like, so doesn't that make sense? Like these guys have a lot of experience telling storylines, multiple storylines at once and knowing how to, how to create a flow and energy with that where you don't just feel bogged down. Doesn't that make way more sense to get those guys to direct your 100 major character cast movie than to get... You know, somebody who maybe has done some act, some pretty good action movies, and you can tell them what to do. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and it, it's also interesting the way that that makes you examine how we view quote unquote directors, right? Mm-hmm. Especially around like say Oscar time when it becomes like, oh, who's the auteur? Who's the sort of lone genius that we mm-hmm. can point to and say, wow, what a brilliant thing they've achieved? But ultimately, it's not just the director. Uh, creating this thing they're the captain right so the crew that they bring the staff that they bring um, and then the way they manage it is really what creates that final product that we see on the screen yeah and so I think like the way we sort of attribute credit 
to directors should probably change a little bit because it used to be, you know, someone like John Carpenter who would write and direct and maybe do the music uh, because movies were much smaller. But at this point, when movies are, you know, crews of hundreds um, and countless people and teams and departments, you know, they need a certain type of director to steer the ship and you know everyone's got to hold their weight but ultimately they're responsible for the alignment and the cohesiveness and the uh, synergy between everyone involved absolutely and you know i think i'm talking about like you know like action movies and like we're talking about like getting different types of directors to make different types of things and not just going along the the classic be like oh this guy makes horror movies so we're going to get him to make the horror movie and we'll make it this guy to make this movie uh one of the most like funny things I've ever seen was I was watching a wasn't even funny. Uh, I might I don't know if it was a one documentary about just like the Predator franchise or I watched two separate ones around the same time. They're talking about with John McTiernan. He's talking about making the story. He's talking about like the nuances of the story, and he goes talking about like you know it maybe doesn't seem like there's a lot of story because it's just these guys in the jungle. Yes, the basic alien. premise. But yeah. you know, but he's like he's like there's. There's levels of characters and how and how the story unfolds and yes. all this stuff. And he's like talking about like you know a lot of times with these movies, studios are like, okay, well, we're making a uh, an action movie, we're making a sci-fi movie. We got to find a director that likes guns and cars and right, you know. And he goes like he goes like I liked story the story that was being told. So I had to go in and sell myself as someone who liked guns yes. and cars and you blowing shit up. Which which he goes like which I, he does like, but it's not necessarily his main interest. Right, he sort of had to trick them a little bit. Trick them a little bit, and then he could tell the the, the story that he wanted to tell within this framework of you know explosions and stuff. Then jump ahead, interview with Paul W S Anderson talking about Alien Amber versus Predator. Predator, and like he's going like, yeah, so we just want to make this really badass movie, and he's like, so first thing I did was. You know, in the first movie, the predator claws are like about like a foot long. I made them two feet long. You know, yeah. <laughs> and he, it's like the movie turned out like a video game, right. like full motion video sequence versus the original, which was a really great, elegant, like taut, crafted yeah. action movie. You know, that just moves in these steps that are just these beats that are just phenomenal. And it's just like it's just that that juxtaposition of like exactly what he was talking about. You know, it's like you have to pretend to be that guy. To get the job, but then Paul W. S. Anderson is actually that guy, and look at the finished product. You know, right. he's just like he comes in, and he's like, "It's gonna be so badass. We're gonna have aliens." And he actually has a British accent, I think, not yes. this one, but he's like, "Aliens and guns, and it's gonna be bigger and better and louder." And everyone's like, "Oh, it's gonna be such a great movie." And it's just kind of like, yeah. I will say that Alien versus Predator is honestly not that bad, uh, but it's not. I mean, in comparison, you know, it's not. It's not a great film. No. It's definitely not on the same level or or tone or I mean John McTiernan's a hundred percent a more sophisticated director uh, than Paul Anderson. Uh, I mean I like some of his movies. Um, I think that's I think that's probably I haven't seen every movie of his. I've only seen a few, but that's I think you know he's the same guy who made Event Horizon for us, and what a gift that is. I'm not cra- I you know I know that's a movie everyone really likes. I'm never I've never been crazy about it. There's moment it has its moments, but I've never been really into that movie. There are not too many really great or enjoyable horror movies in space, so I think it just automatically gets bumped th- up for you. thrown to the top. Um, 
Also, just that horror sort of, you know, take a haunted house movie and give it a dash of Hellraiser, mm-hmm. and it's set in space. And I'm just into that type of imagery, sure. like, yeah. uh, you know, um, electronic consoles and things like that covered in gore, mm-hmm. uh, like riveted metal, um, you know, jumpsuits, like just all that, that whole aesthetic is really appealing. I like that That's why too, I like yeah. Hellraiser in space. It's sure. one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I was just like, I, I understand the love of it. I've just never, and I love that, uh, those aesthetics well, as well. I just, that particular one never just really worked that much. That's well fair. Me. Uh, I, t- I take an Outland over, out of a, over Event Horizon. All right, AA. just calm down. Now you're really showing your age. <laughs> it's funny you touched on the uh, Predator though, because obviously oh, the don't Predator don't even get me fucking started. Came out, uh, was directed, written, and directed by Shane Black, along with help from uh, an old friend of the show, Mr. Fred Decker. Fred Decker, yeah, genre veteran and uh, the man behind Night of the Creeps and mm-hmm. the Monster Squad, mm-hmm. two of the most beloved. Horror movies of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was certainly something. It was a movie that exists. It was there was characters He's, and images. It's fascinating. And there was end credits. There were end credits too. Definitely. When that movie finished, I sort of sat there a little dumbfounded, just because I felt like I had completely misunderstood what they were going for. I don't think they really knew what they were going for. I honestly like it was a movie that was it was bad but it it wasn't even really in, like it was so bad but it wasn't even enjoyably bad really to me it almost seemed like they went in with the intent of okay they've seen predator movies before it's been done to death we're going to do like a modern send up like a spoof of the the predator movie so when people come in they've seen it all they know it all and we're gonna just give them a give them a goof. Yeah, but it wasn't it. We're gonna do a super predator, and we're gonna have all these guys, and they're all gonna have like ticks and personality disorders, yeah. and and they're gonna have dumb jokes, and it either, it's gonna be great. Either for that, it either took itself too seriously or not seriously enough. You know, it kind of fell into that like middle ground of just like ugh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And just like the whole the the character the the main character was just so unengaging. You like you could care less. You know, like he's the crux of the story. You could care less. I feel like he could work in a different action setting. Sure. In fact, he might have been a better. Do you mean the actor or the character? Itself? The actor. I I not wasn't put didn't have a problem with the actor himself. I thought he was great in a uh... Logan. He was the he was the oh he, yeah he was uh, one of the Pierce. bad. Yeah, he was one of the bad guys, and I thought I thought he was great. So when I heard he was going to be in this movie, I was like, "Oh, cool! You know, he's he's good." Uh, I think he would make a great Kyle Reese if you could travel back in time to uh, Terminator Genesis and recast, recast him as Kyle Reese versus Jai, uh, Jai Courtney. Courtney. Yeah, uh, I think he would be. Wait, he would and be put def- maybe put Jai Courtney in the Predator. He's sort of like a meathead muscle dude. He might be better in that setting. Yeah, in I fact, I would have loved to see more of a cast uh, along the lines of the Expendables in The Predator versus mm. what we got because they didn't really have much to do. So I felt like they need there was more room for these sort of muscle bound egos and personalities. Uh-huh. And I would have loved to see also some some folks that were in like say Fast and Furious movies like a Dwayne Johnson or. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Statham or um, 
even somebody like uh, Idris Elba. Oh yeah, what would he have done in a Predator movie? You know what I mean? Like I think the people like this I would mean, have there been was really. Great, there was great. There was good actors in it though. I mean, like uh, uh, Sterling K. Brown, you know, as the villain. Like, the... oh, I thought he was great, and his the gum chewing and that that whole. He deal was with... he was definitely one of the better parts, but yeah. even still, I mean, like he wasn't like given much room to shine. Like the, no. for me, the coolest thing in the movie was the fact that Gary Busey was playing the son. Oh, you of, mean Jake Busey? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jake Busey was playing the son of Gary Busey's character for Predator 2, but they kill him off in five minutes and they never even say, like he never even says something like when they're like, have the alien on the operating table, like, yeah, my dad was killed by one of these things, you know? Yeah. Like, so it's like, it's, it's a deep cut that's just so, it's too deep. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the, because you don't really enjoy his character otherwise. You're like if he had a be- if he was a bed just a better character in the film, like you wouldn't necessarily have to mention the the connection to the other movies because it would, he could he would but could stand alone. But he doesn't stand alone on his own. He only stands alone along with his connection to his first to the his father's character, right? But that they make no reference to. So it's kind of like it's just too deep of a cut. Uh, yeah, and I mean, there's there's the possibility, obviously, of you know studios intervening and and making changes, and and I don't know that there was too many reports of uh, like drastic tampering or edits or revisions or anything like that. But I'm just wondering if that was the case. Perhaps I mean I did re- I read some stuff that they filmed shit like. Uh, you know how oh the crazy alternate ending where it's like they where they open up the box and instead of like the predator or killer it being like the uh, the uh, the that just like extra fancy predator suit it was like Ripley yeah comes out of it and like stuff like this doesn't make or Danny Glover Danny... from uh, Predator Two right yeah and all this or like... um, Newt or just all kinds of I mean see those, stuff. that's what I'm talking about like those are those are way ridiculous moments and that's where i said like it either took itself too seriously or not seriously enough you know where it's like if they'd gone way more into the extreme i would have been on more on board with things like the predator dog pet and yes uh because that was just like like like, oh we shot the dog in the head and now it's our fun pet right we gave it a lobotomy by attempting to kill it but then you have the other other parts where like they play they're just playing it too straight for that to work well that's the wild part about the you know predator predator 2 and even predators uh uh from not too long ago all of those movies were played straight ahead uh, yeah largely with you know wisecracks and and sure, things yeah. like that kind of glib comments thrown in but you know the the whole movie was the straight man right exactly the movie itself was, right right yeah yeah and i think that was the strength and so we didn't really necessarily get that here it's kind of all over the place no and which is strange because i think shane black has proven himself as a writer and and filmmaker maybe not a you know sort of genius uh or or you know 10 out of 10 consistency but i don't know frankly i think his his track record is pretty spotty honestly well you also haven't seen uh very many of his movies i've seen most of them oh okay he doesn't have, honestly, the huge filmography. No, not at all. Um, yeah, it was like the movie kind of played it to me like as a as an S, like a bad SNL skit that just didn't stop and just kept going on for two hours. But whatever. 
Luckily, the the big takeaway from that movie existing, though, um, one, I'm just glad to see Fred Decker getting work because I think that was th- cool. he's a guy who loves movies and loves filmmaking. And, you know, he is he embodies. I think we've talked about this before. He truly embodies the trash heap spirit because oh, yeah. here's a guy who, you know, he made a couple of really great movies. They're not perfect. Um, and he may not be the most skilled or talented director or writer in the world, but he keeps forging ahead and making things because he loves this stuff just as much as we do. Totally, yeah. So, so I appreciate the fact that he's getting work and and you know making money, applying his his trade and his craft. I think that's awesome. But the movie Predators is so much more of a gem in comparison. Obviously, oh, it's definitely com- better, yeah. compared to the first two, eh. but once once this was added to the mix, and now you go back and watch and look back at it, the vibe they knocked it out of the park. The ensemble cast was great. The setting, the the whole tone of the movie. There was some silliness with the the hunting dogs and the, and, the direction. I think this could have been like the same the same plot, most of the same characters, even like a predominantly similar script. It just all could have been executed. A little bit better, sure. But I think on the spectrum, it 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 enjoys a position a lot closer to the first two than anything else. And also, the uh, even the more extreme pieces of it, like the Predator Civil War and and things like that, don't and in Lawrence Fishburne's character don't seem quite as over the top. Oh, in not, comparison, not at all. And uh, to be. To me, that one was like, it's a fine movie. Uh, to me, it's like I've read stuff about it where it's like, oh, the best part of that, the best version of that movie was the one that was never made. You know, like I read stuff that like Lawrence Fishburne's character was originally Danny Glover's character from uh, Predator 2 or Predator 2, but then he didn't want to do the movie. And then like originally at the end of the, uh, at the end, you know, after he's defeated all the Predator, like Adrian Brody's defeated all the Predators, another Predator ship was supposed to come down and all these Predators got off and then big one comes out and takes off his mask and it's dutch you know like i mean those are like i guess not necessarily plot essential points but no the things that definitely would have like like elevated the you know elevated into feeling more within the like official canon that stuff sounds really exciting too but ultimately if it gets put on screen does it will it would it come off as cartoony or would it come off as like it this, could go either way. Right? It could go either way. And it's way. the fact that it won't ever get made, I think, puts it on this pedestal in, sometimes, in terms of, like, the lore. Sometimes the best movies are the ones that were never made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think Guillermo del Toro has actually said that about his own filmography. Yeah. Like, the best movies I, I, I've ever made were the ones that fell apart at the last minute. Yeah. And like, you know, we never got to... Cause we never got to actually see because he knew what his vision was, but his vision is not always necessarily going to be actualized because yeah, all translated the, into all, reality all the different components that go into yes making a film um one thing i want to talk about before we, we don't forget before this comes to an end is uh i mean when you because you brought up the spirit of the trash heap what would you say is the most you're the most year you think was the most underrated film of last year, not it doesn't not even necessarily a hated film, but like just what pops to your head, like a movie that you're like, you know what, that deserved more attention or more, more love than it got. I actually thought Bumblebee was pretty incredible. Really? Yeah, you got the uh, 
we really got the Transformers that we were all hoping for from, you know, that referenced the toys and referenced the, the kids cartoon. Um, and it just had a great energy about it. It was like the fun kid friendly action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost felt like a nickel, like if you slapped the Nickelodeon intro on it, it could sure. be a Nickelodeon movie. I and mean, it's got John Cena and it said just the whole vibe of it was, a little more lighthearted. It was easy on the eyes. Like aesthetically, it was much better looking than any of the Michael Bay Transformers with the super complex, like over-designed Transformers. This was like garbled. Yeah, just a a mess. And this was like a lot of fun and just enjoyable to watch. I didn't see it. I will say it definitely, uh, it looked way, way better than the, the other ones. It was directed by, I can't remember the guy's name, but he is like, he was a uh, he was uh, he was from Leica, the the stop motion animation studio, and it's his father is the is like the guy who funded the studio. So I think he was the president of Leica, and he also directed uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh, um, so when I heard that he was making, it, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. This you know for this guy to make to make a Transformer movie. I do want to see it. It looked way better. Haven't seen it yet. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, uh, if 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 someone said, "Hey, you know, this kid likes robots. Uh, what, what should I show him?" I would say, uh, you know, I would recommend a couple other things, probably like Iron Giant and and movies Robocop like that. Robocop three, yeah, Robocop three, a hundred percent. Yeah, but also, um, Bumblebee would definitely be on that list. I'll have to check it out. For me, two like pop to my head right away. One, um, is what upgrade. I didn't see that. I didn't see oh. that. I really want, I do want to see that movie, but I didn't Crazy. see it. Uh, the two that popped in my head are uh, Annihilation, which was very well re- like reviewed. Uh, I got a lot of like critical um, uh, praise, but just kind of like came and went. You know, it was uh, it was in the theater. I saw it. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. But just kind of like was a movie that was released and then instantly forgotten. Uh, which I think it deserves a lot more attention and credit than it got, even though I say you said it was well reviewed, but just kind of like, like, yeah, I think the passing by. It's not even one of those ones you see popping up like in the trending now on Netflix, you know, because sometimes the movies will have a second life there. I haven't even really seen it like that happening, to, uh, that in any way where like people have been like, oh, I watched it on Netflix. And I was like, oh, yeah, I saw that movie in the theater. I was like, it was in the theater, you know? Yeah, I think that's another movie that, you know, was sort of difficult to wrap your head around and didn't have a lot of answers and provoked oh, more questions. Very, very purposely vague. You and know? Uh, yeah, people just didn't get the closure they wanted on it. And, yeah, yeah. I just, but I also feel like a lot of people just didn't even see it. Like, when well, I think you know, a lot of the movies we're talking about are negatively affected by things like Rotten Tomatoes. Oh yeah. People see the reviewer score and people see the audience score, and then they make these awful decisions about what movies to go. They love a math equation. Pick what movies they watch. Um, the one, though, for me that I would say is definitely overall the most underrated, because like I said, Annihilation did at least get like critical praise, uh, was for me is um, Apostle, which was a Netflix movie, uh, the same director as The Raid, the first two Raid, or I guess there are only two Raid movies. The Raid movies, uh, Gareth Evans, Garth mm-hmm. Evans. Uh, and that wasn't a, a disliked movie by any means, but holy shit. Have you seen that movie? No, it's in my, it's in my list. <laughs> that is quite a picture. 
I mean, particularly if you're a fit lover of genre films and, uh, you know, horror and things of that ilk, it is an intense, visceral, just well done, nonstop. Now, is it a period piece? Or it is what? a period piece. It takes place, it either takes place end of 19th century, beginning of uh, 20th century. Uh, Dan Stevens, Martin Freeman are the two, two most recognizable actors in it. Uh, about it like a it's 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 not quite a religious cult movie you know or like a satanic cult movie the way it kind of is portrayed in the previews i mean those are definitely elements to it uh some of the bad guys are really really bad some of the bad guys are more like well-intentioned guys in bad situations who've gotten caught up in their own bullshit or own like self-created problems that they now need to solve somehow i was honestly really surprised that that one didn't explode in popularity of this like we weren't expecting this it's awesome everyone should check it out but that didn't really happen with with it it just that happened with hereditary and rightfully so but like apostle was another one that just kind of like came and yeah same with a quiet place i think a lot of these high concept uh horror movies no one was expecting that movie to be as as good as it was or as popular as it yeah was, but know? they're all very eye-catching you know with some some new ideas and new concepts and and new creators mm-hmm. bringing a lot to the table so uh i think it's been an exciting time and it's wild to think that we, during this this show we haven't even you know we just barely touched on hereditary we didn't even get to you know things like a quiet place or overlord overlord yeah or the cloverfield paradox bird box which i know was you know that was a hotly debated movie i didn't see that one uh, Cloverfield, Cloverfield Paradox or was, Mandy oh my god Mandy was great we're gonna have to save that for another that show that could be its own we could have a, we could have a whole Nicolas Cage highlights episode but it's wild to think that just in in a year's time you know going on a, a little break that so many incredible movies could come out oh yeah well this, this will let this be a lesson for the rest of you if you find a VHS tape in the middle of the street, don't pick it up and put it in your VCR because you might get sucked into the movies. Yeah, be careful around vintage media because it may be the last thing you do. It almost was for me. Well, I'm glad to have you back. It's good to be back. It's been an incredible hour and a half catching up and talking about movies that came out in the last year and and finding our bearings again and Mm -hmm. and kind of clearing our heads and figuring out where we're going to go next just ready for the cinematic future we'll be back yeah one thing you can expect is more episodes of the trash heap we're not going anywhere this time unless something absolutely wild and catastrophic happens which i mean given my track record of poor decisions yeah the world's full of possibilities yeah thanks guys yeah thanks again for tuning in and Sorry we were gone for so long, but we hope to have you back next time. And until then, the dumpster is closed. Hi! Can they see my hand waving? Why am I waving my hand? No one can see this. Remember when I almost broke into your neighbor's house today? Oh yeah, wasn't that the summer of 84? Oh god, that movie sucked. (laughs)